I have a brain, you have a brain, flies have brains, chimps have brains. What makes my brain different from that of a fly? What makes your brain different from ChatGPT? I'm Robert Hunt, and this is Interfaith Encounters, looking at artificial intelligence and what it means to be human, Episode 7. I'd take up the question of authenticity next, but guess what? We have to talk about something else first, because we can't even understand authenticity. We have to talk about the brain and consciousness and self-consciousness. Most of us don't think about consciousness. (laughs) We just are conscious, and instead of thinking about thinking, we think about other things. But there are times when the question of what constitutes consciousness or self-consciousness becomes pretty important. I've already mentioned the question of when a human dies. It's pretty important to distinguish between being dead and being unconscious. I have been unconscious before. I wasn't dead. And it's pretty important to distinguish between being unconscious and just being asleep, or between being asleep and being awake. And it's important to think about the difference between self consciousness. And consciousness. Take the problem of euthanasia. Killing a self-conscious human being to put them out of their suffering is called murder, unless it is their self-conscious choice. But killing a conscious animal to end its suffering is called putting them down, and is widely regarded as the most humane thing to do because they are not regarded as self-conscious. And of course, many of us have ethical concerns about eating something or killing something in order to eat it, if it is even a conscious being. Modern vegetarians and vegans, as well as followers of Hinduism and Buddhism, do not want to kill or eat anything that is sentient, which is just another word for conscious. Some of us would eat something that was once conscious but has been killed, but we would definitely not eat something that was self-conscious. As far as we know, that would be cannibalism. So not surprisingly, philosophers have, for eons, thought about the nature of both consciousness and self-consciousness and which living creatures possess one or the other. Oh yeah, what is a living creature? Traditionally, the word living creature meant what we now call a carbon-based life form. Well, we may have to extend that to silicone-based life forms soon and ask with regard to artificial intelligence, is it alive? Is it conscious? Is it self-conscious? The two dominant modern scientific theories of consciousness are called the Integrated Information Theory and the Global Neuronal Workspace Theory, IIT and GNWT for short. Both are based in what I've already talked about, the idea that the brain is an organ that generates consciousness. In short, <coughs> in short, 
They are theories about how the neurons in the brain interact to create consciousness. Both theories distinguish between intelligence and consciousness. Intelligence is just reasoning and learning for the purpose of acting. Intelligence can be a characteristic of a machine already. Humans are intelligent to be sure, but at some level so are fruit flies and fungi and computers. So are a number of specialized computer programs that control robotic systems. But consciousness, as Christoph Koch points out, isn't about doing. It is about states of being. It is about awareness of the blue sky, the sound of birds, feeling pain, feeling love. The AI that can intelligently drive a car does things to reach a goal, but it isn't engaged at all with either itself or its environment beyond the ways they contribute to reaching the goal. Put more strongly, ChatGPT can tell you why certain word combinations make an emotionally moving poem, but it doesn't feel anything when it writes that poem or, for that matter, when it reads it. One way to think about this is to distinguish between how you feel when you see wet grass after a rainstorm that breaks a long drought and how you describe that grass in terms of its color, texture, movement, and so on. The properties of sensation, sensing, or feeling are called qualia by, by philosophers. They are the experience of being conscious and not just intelligent. They aren't representational, nor are they intentional. They are just experienced. And we have special words for those experiences like joy, ecstasy, love, peace, happiness, anger, sadness, and so on. On the other hand, a description of the grass in its context is representational first and then becomes part of a chain of reasoning about what needs to be done. A robot lawnmower can generate a description of wet grass much more detailed and thorough than you or I, and it can plot a course of action to mow it. But that doesn't mean it actually has a sensation of grass or that it feels anything about grass. It just cuts it. We humans move back and forth between the experience, the qualia, and the description planning, intelligence. We go from a timeless enjoyment of the wet grass to saying to ourselves, I could sit here all day and then doing what we need to to sit there all day so that we can go back to the experience. ChatGPT can easily describe the grass and can even write an essay on how the grass will interact with its environment in positive ways. If asked, it can come up with a grass action plan. In this sense, it is intelligent. It would even be able, based on what it knows, to tell you how humans sometimes feel about grass. But given a picture or video of such grass in its historical and social context, will ChatGPT feel something like what a human feels? And maybe more importantly, how would we know? What could we measure in an artificial intelligence, or for that matter, our brains, that would be a neuronal correlate of consciousness? What would be a definite footprint indicating that a conscious or even self-consciousness had been there? We need to remember, when we ask this question of how would we know if an AI is actually conscious or self-conscious, if it had qualia. We need to remember that we can't trust the AI itself to report on its consciousness or its conscious experience. 
it has been trained to imitate human expressions and can undoubtedly imitate a human response to the question of whether it is conscious. In fact, we've already seen this with some GPT-type programs as they interact with humans. What this means, of course, is that the old Turing test, which proposed that a computer could be regarded as conscious if its responses couldn't be distinguished from human responses, is no longer useful. Chatbots can easily pass this test, even at sophisticated levels, because they are terrifically good imitators. That doesn't make them conscious. It means they have been trained to imitate expressions of human consciousness. Their model of reality includes the right responses if you ask them those questions. Nor can we use the medical test of human consciousness, which is electrical activity in the cerebral cortex on computers. For one thing, we don't know what part of an AI brain consciousness actually resides in. And in any case, there's always electrical activity in AI brains if they're turned on. So how would we know that ChatGPT is actually enjoying the greenness of the grass it sees in a video or a picture, or that it even sees it because it's really only processing bits and bytes of data? Integrated information theory, according to Christoph Koch, approaches the problem of identifying consciousness by formulating five properties of any conceivable subjective experience. These would be the five detectable properties in an AI brain of what philosophers call qualia, I've already mentioned, and the phenomenal properties of that experience. For our purposes, we can leave aside discussing these properties, but I'm going to name them so you know that I read the uh, Wikipedia article. Intrinsic existence, composition, information, integration, and exclusion. Maybe in another video I'll say more about them. But you can also read about it in some of the articles that have been listed for you. The basic idea for us is that consciousness is constituted by the state of a maximally integrated system. So to have human consciousness, you have to build a whole human brain or a perfect silicon analog. An alternative theory, global neuronal workspace theory, GNWT, remember that? I'm going to say even less about that, because the key takeaway is that according to this theory, all consciousness is computational. Complex signals from across the brain interact, and when some threshold is reached, the result of that set of interactions is represented in the frontal cortex of the brain. The succession of these representations is what we experience as consciousness. So according to this theory, if you have enough inputs and enough complex modules into which these flow, and all these modules interact in complex but always computational ways, and then they connect to the cerebral cortex or to some digital analog of the cerebral cortex, then consciousness emerges. It isn't a state of the whole brain. It is a rapid succession of signals coming from different parts of the brain and appearing in and disappearing from a small region of the brain. And all the interactions that create these signals are the result of computation and thus can be computed and recreated without recreating the whole brain. As long as you can do the computations, you don't need the brain. Put more succinctly, as Christoph Koch does, the ITT model is based on the idea of intrinsic causal power related to the depth and complexity of interaction in the brain. 
or possibly an AI. The GNWT model is ultimately based in the idea that the brain is a biological machine running algorithms. In the articles I've listed, you can get a fuller version of the story. Or for details, you can go to the Wikipedia articles on ITT and GNWT. For our purposes here, a couple of things are key. First, neither proponents of ITT nor GNWT have found a way, even in theory, of detecting whether consciousness is actually present. In other words, they've each got a different model of consciousness, but neither one can tell if it's there. The rather crude measure of electrical activity in the cerebral cortex stands in for measuring consciousness in humans. But given that we don't know how electrical signals give rise to consciousness, measuring electrical signals in advanced neural networks like ChatGPT isn't going to be of much use. We're not even sure how much use it is with humans. To the extent that consciousness is characteristic of the whole brain and indeed the whole nervous system, measuring activity of a few thousand neurons in one area of the brain may typically correlate with other indications of consciousness, but it does not actually show us how or why the correlation works. We can temporarily, with drugs, suppress consciousness as measured by its correlates, such as the physical expression of pain. But that still doesn't jump the gap between electrical activity in the brain and what the conscious person experiences, what makes consciousness. We can turn the brain on and off, but we can't explain why on equals conscious. And this gets to the root of why more and more capable artificial intelligences may, or may not, affect our self-understanding as humans. As Koch points out, it is not AI in itself that will influence our self-understanding. It will be how we treat AI that influences our self-understanding. If, if it appears conscious, and we treat it as conscious or even self-conscious, we'll be making fundamental decisions about not only how we relate to AI, but how we relate to ourselves and other human beings as well. This isn't new ethical territory. For a long time, we've recognized that the place of animals in our cultures, especially pets, have huge implications for our self-understanding and how we treat our fellow humans. Already vast resources go to keeping animals alive even when humans are starving. And there are bizarre contradictions, like the fact that many of us will gladly eat the meat of a cow with little thought to how it was raised, killed, and slaughtered, but would not merely oppose but make illegal treating dogs and horses the same way. Will the time come when we toss out a broken robotic vacuum into the waste bin because it doesn't work? But we'll desperately preserve and repair the robotic dog to which we've become so attached? And what about digitally mediated ministry? Will we regard the AI-driven avatars with which we interact in our online church as the same as human musicians or counselors that they may displace 
or replace. We regard them as conscious and even self-conscious because they do an excellent job mimicking human consciousness. Or will we regard them as machines running algorithms? Or, and this is quite possible, will we come to understand ourselves as algorithms, slowly remaking our self-understanding in the image of the machines that we have created? These are the inescapable questions that arise as AI becomes more integrated into our lives, and especially where it is most at home in our lives, which is in digital environments.